Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We return to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and before we get into that, I forgot the cutest part of our worship service, where the children go out to Children's Church. Folks, these adults that take these children back there, we have had so many people that have brought children that visited with us, and and they say that this is their kids loves this. So I don't know what you're doing back there, but it must sound like fun. <laughs> Lily gave me her fish. She said, "Don't mess with me this morning." So today is our second part. Uh, his answers are profound, and he gives believers great tools on how to apply. Love. So if you place Jesus as the, now check this out, ultimate authority in your life, you will find power in these lessons that he teaches us today. So let's just jump uh, right in. And the first passage we see is in verses 35 through 37. And my question is to myself and to you, who is Jesus to you? Now, there is a... C.S. Lewis is a profound Christian writer. He was a profound Christian writer. He wrote Mere Christianity. He, uh, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. All of these, these high educational, uh, high thought theology, uh, sayings that, that, uh, and teachings that just are really profound. And, and he has this thing called the C.S. Lewis's Trilemma. Okay? And it's, Basically this, I'm giving you a broad brushed approach of it, but there's three titles for Jesus. He is either a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is Lord. What do I mean by that? First of all, if Jesus claims to be God, but in fact is not, then he is to be considered a madman or a lunatic. There are plenty of people. David Koresh of the Branch Davidian cult, um, Charles Manson. All of these people claim to be Jesus Christ. I didn't know this until Donna started working in the area of mental health. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, oftentimes people thinking that their Jesus Christ is a legitimate uh, disorder that people have. But this, Jesus was not, did not have mental problems. Jesus did not have an issue with lying. He was not a liar. But if he was a liar, if he did say he was God's son and was not, that would make him a liar. The second thing, if he is neither God and he's not a liar, then he must be a lunatic. Someone that has just, again, like these others I mentioned, are misguided, but if you can't say he's a liar, for example, he said he would rise in three days, rise in three days, and when you go back to the tomb, he is not there. There is no bones, there is no anything, just his grave clothes that were there. He said he would do it, and he did it. So if he's not a liar, and he's not a lunatic, then he must be Lord. And the thing is that you can only choose one of these possibilities. 
You may be here today and you may not believe in God and you may not believe in Jesus Christ and you may think that he is a madman. Some of you may be watching this or seeing this today and thinking that all of this religion is just a man-made crutch that we are trying to to kind of cope with life. But my friends, uh, biblical archaeology is revealing day after day after day the findings of the scriptures. How many people over the years have tried to get rid of the Bible and had to uh, try to kind of uh, dissect it to where it doesn't make any sense and they try to say that it's wrong. Well, folks, it is still one of the best sellers in today's world. There are people that give their life to have a copy of God's Word. So, with that said, the religious Jewish leaders of Jesus' day that we're reading about, uh, primarily we call them the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they were trying to disprove Jesus' authority with trap after trap after trap. So let's read their next attempt. Starting at verse 35. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, Jesus asked this. He asked a question. He says, why do teachers of the religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inscription of the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in a place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Now, Jesus says, since David himself called the Messiah, my Lord, the Messiah, my Lord. David wrote that, the Messiah, my Lord. How can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him. And with great delight. So the crowd was like, yeah! They're like, ooh. What are you going to say about that, Pharisees and Sadducees? I guess if it's still hip, it's kind of like Jesus would have dropped the mic on that. Meaning that that was the last thing he had to say. What is so significant about this? Well, first of all, in your Bibles, it's probably where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor. That is Psalm 110, verse 1. So, the likelihood that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teacher of the religious law, he was using their own words to prove his point. The so-called experts in religious law did not make this application. They tried to trap Jesus. And Jesus asked him, do you really know who I am? Jesus quoted again Psalm 110 verse 1 and asked them to explain this. How David's son could also be David's Lord. And so he got him trapped. You see, the, the Jews believed that the Messiah would be David's son. But the only way David's son could also be David's Lord would be if the Messiah were to come from God in human flesh. And we know that he did. And the answer, of course, is our Lord's miraculous Incarnation, where the Word of God became flesh and He lived among us and died for us. So here's the question. Who is Jesus to you? That's what we started this passage with. Who is Jesus to you? So my question is, is He a figure you've grown up with? Was He a figure that, that He's kind of like the Easter Bunny or He's kind of like Santa Claus? These are, are, are stories and things that you've heard ever since you were a child and, and you observe these things and church is just one of those things to where you kind of, 
you, you can go with it, but really believing it? I'm not sure about that. The problem is, if you think Jesus is like the Easter Bunny, or if you think Jesus is like Santa Claus, the only reason you're going to follow Jesus is to get something from him. And there are many people today that follow Jesus not to serve him, but to get things from him. If Jesus has someone you have heard about, is he someone you've heard about from others in conversations and maybe sermons? Maybe it's very sermon here. Is Jesus someone you've read about or is Jesus someone you believe in enough to surrender your life to? Is he a liar to you? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? If he is Lord, that means that you give him your life. And we see here in this passage, as we go to verses 38 and 40, that pride kills God's power in our lives. Some, some of you may say, well, you know what? I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel the same power I had when I, when I first got saved. Well, the truth of the matter is, I don't think you ever feel the, the same when you first got saved because it was such a profound change. But sometimes, folks... Power is not in the big drastic lightning bolts that you see, but sometimes power is just that constant current that keeps your engines rolling. And we see here in verse 38, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of the religious law. I I believe that they're in a a big crowd there and all of these Pharisees, Sadducees and and big wigs are back there. And they think they're so proud of themselves because they have just asked Jesus a question that he's going to wrestle with. He turned it back on them. And then he says, now, look at these cats. Look at these guys. They think that they are so big. They think that they are so important. Beware of these teachers right here in of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplace. It's kind of like if you're in Walmart and the royalty comes in, everybody moves to the side so they can get their price check, right? There's all kinds of royalty in Walmart. All you got to do is look for it, folks. That was a joke. It wasn't funny, I guess. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter when you go in. If you don't want to see somebody at Walmart, you're going to see somebody. You know, you think, you think I'm just going to run in. I got on my pajamas and I got on something else. Before you know it, you're on the website, people of Walmart. Be careful with that. But the truth of the matter is, as I get back to my, my subject, hopefully, is that these, these, guys, these religious leaders, they were giving in to the hype. They, they wore these long robes and they, they wanted all the accolades. They wanted the red carpet treatment. And Jesus says how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquets. Yet they, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. Some translations actually say that with by saying who devour widows' houses. I don't get that. Does that mean they're like termites and they just go and try to eat somebody's house up? No, that's not what they're saying. It says that they are cheating widows out of their property. Now, it takes a low person, a lowest of low person to take advantage of a widow yet alone somebody that's supposed to be religious. 
He said that they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. And because of this, they will be more severely punished. So what do we get out of this? Jesus warns against the pride of the teachers of the religious law. The religious leaders use their positions and their platforms to take advantage of the people that they lead. Jesus called them out. He called out their hypocrisy. And Jesus, these scribes were entrusted with preserving and learning and teaching the word of God and taking the word of God to the world. Yet all they were doing is trying to make their world better for themselves. You realize if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's not to puff yourself up, but it's to push him out into the world so people can see him. And the false teachers, they loved the image of their calling. Now, There is significance when it says that they walked around with long robes. Back then, if you were a man and you walked around with these long, ornate robes, that's a good indication that your hands would be milky soft. What does it mean when when a man has milky soft hands? It means when it comes to hard labor, they don't know any. I remember we used to do mission trips. And uh, with with young kids, when I was a youth pastor, and we told them, be careful. If you work too much, you're going to get a callus. They said, callus, what kind of animal is that? And we would just run with it and just kind of kind of go with it later. And then they come up to you later and say, you know, my hand's hurting. My, my skin's peeling off. And there's your callus. Hey, look, I, that's okay. So, some, some men, some women don't have jobs that are menial uh, as far as, just physically working, but they are just as important. But these guys, these guys, now remember, they didn't get paid as priests. They didn't have a salary, but they they represented God. And so they really encouraged people to give of their money. But because they had long robes, that was a signification of saying, I don't work hard labor. My job is to teach you about God and so this this blue collar stuff, that's up to y'all. But y'all need to 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 give us, although they didn't get paid, they did encourage people to give them gifts. They didn't get paid, but they did encourage people to give them gifts. They demanded recognition from others in their walk with God, and they loved the image of being a holy man. But folks, pride can ruin your influence with others. And these these teachers, pride was ruining their influence. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. If you just want to make a note and go back later there. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. That is where we find the seven deadly sins. And one of the main sins that he talks about is pride. Where it talks about having haughty eyes. That means they are very prideful. God is not impressed with our pride. Also, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My friends, if we let pride set up into our life, we are not only enemies of God, He opposes us. I'm sure i got enemies in this world, but I hope God is not one of them. And so, my friend, if you struggle with pride, I would encourage you to handle that today because it is not, it is suffocating. It is destroying your fellowship 
with God. And then when it talks about cheating widows out of their property, some of them use this custom to exploit and cheat those who were poor out of everything that they had. They sinned against the weak and the vulnerable, but they excused it because they thought it was so spiritual. Many of the religious leaders used flattery and manipulation to get big gifts from those who can least afford to give them. I tell you what, it's it's sad, but it's true that even in ministry, in churches and pastors are no different. There is there is a tendency to kind of. Should I say this from the pulpit? There have been God. This God's my witness. This has not been me, but there I've seen guys. They cater to the givers, the big givers. And then not only that, they take as much as they can from those that don't give a whole lot. And look, I I don't look at gift records. I don't know who gives what. Let me just say that I, I treat everybody the same. But we'll get into that in just a minute. But the thing is, is that if you are ministering and you are, are reaching out to people because of what you can get from them, you, you're not a preacher, you're not that, but you do have friends. And if you are friends with people just for what they can get out of you, or you can get out of them, excuse me, then you need to deal with this now because you are not doing what God has called you to do. Because when you lose sight of Jesus being Lord, you then worship yourself. When you lose sight of Jesus being Lord, of Jesus having control of your life, you then worship yourself. Jesus was warning those who were using God's name to receive personal gain. You do not love God if you only use him to gain influence, money, power. If all you do is claim God just to get money and power and accolades and popularity, that's not called worship. That's called abuse. True Christians should not be defined by the magnitude of how they show their faith. They should be showing how they love God, loving others, and then serving people before themselves. Look, reading the Bible, praying in public, following church rituals, and even doing church work can be phony if we're doing it to be recognized. Folks, we must serve God with the right motives. He knows the difference. We must serve God with the right motives because he knows the difference. Then we see generosity is about your heart, not the amount. Generosity is about the heart, not the amount. Yeah, we're going to talk about giving right now for a minute. So buckle your pew belts. Don't run anywhere. I got all the doors locked. Just kidding. Am I? I'll joke and say, that's what I love about preaching through a Bible passage. Nobody can say, I wonder who he's talking to. Hey, it's right here. And it hits all of us. So here we go. You ready to jump in? You sure? I'm getting a lot of, I don't know. Well, I'm going to go. You can go with me if you want. Verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. Now, that's awkward. Jesus sat down by the offering box in the temple. Now, just a few passages ago, we read about how Jesus went in and he cleared house out of the temple, turned over tables and, and chased off 
people that were taking advantage of worship and taking advantage of believers. He had just cleaned it. So there's that awkwardness. And then all of a sudden, he is sitting by the offering plate. That would be awkward. But I got news for you. He sees what you and I give every day. But he's sitting near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Now, they didn't have bills back in the day, so it was coins. If you've ever gone to a store or a bank that has those coin exchange machines, and you'll see somebody, they'll bring in a big jug like this and just start pouring it in that thing. It makes a racket. It sounds like... 20 semi-trucks filled with glass is just going down the road and wrecked, right? I mean, it's just, it's obvious noise. So when people would give, those that were big donors, they would put all that money into these, these horns. They would make this loud sound. Then he says in verse 42, Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Some translations call that the widow's mite. There's another telling of the story by the Apostle Mark in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. So Jesus called his disciples to him. Now remember, he's about ready to go to the cross. All these events are about to unfold. He's sitting at the temple. He says, hey guys, come here. Team huddle. i got to tell you something. This is important. Now remember, these disciples still at this point, thought that Jesus was going to give them an earthly kingdom, that they were going to have popularity, they were going to have power, they are going to have all these things that this religious, these religious teachers had. He pulls them close. He called to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But underline this, or highlight it, or note it, or check it out. It says, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. These two small coins were not just, oh, I got a couple coins in my pocket, I'll throw them in. It's like when our dear friend Odell was back there, Odell Williams, he was back there with our administrators during Sunday school, and they would they would handle the Sunday school offering. And I'd go ask him. I'd say, "Okay, Odell, do we got tithes or tips this morning?" And he'd laugh and he'd say, "We got tips and some tithes." But I want you to understand this: this woman, this older widow, gave two coins. It was not what she had in her pocketbook. It was all that she had. This has to be awkward, but this also has to be such a blessing. We mistakenly think that Jesus is not doing the same. When our offering plates are passed, we think that he's not watching, but he is, uh, because when they would walk into the court, there would be 13 trumpet-shaped chests. Some, some translations call it, there would be a shofar, like a big seashell, and they would take it and they would ring that thing and make... When they threw their coins in, they'd make as loud of a a noise as they could. And so this was out in the outer temple where the women were permitted to enter. That's why we see the the widow here. Just a a cross note, if you could. I'll put it on the screen, or if you want to look in your Bible, that's fine too. But let's go over to Matthew 6, just for a second, as we talk about giving, just for a moment. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 2. 
Jesus is teaching about giving to the needy. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Jesus was confronting the heart of the giver, not the amount that they gave. Let me say that one more time. Jesus was confronting the heart of the giver, but not the amount that they gave. In verses 43 through 44, we see the religious leaders, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. They were the ones that were throwing in pocket change. They were, they were the ones that had plenty to give, but they just gave a little bit. And they may have given a lot considered to what other people gave, but it was no sacrifice for them. It was a portion. It was a tip. It was not a tithe. But the poor woman, because she was a widow, she had no husband to support her. It was very hard for a widow in those days, unless the family took them in, it was very hard for the widow to make a living. It also may be significant that Jesus had just criticized the religious leaders about taking advantage of widows. So the very people that they were taking advantage of, of the widows, this widow comes in and gives all she has. Folks, there is a principle here I want us to see. Whenever we give sacrificially, God sees it and is pleased. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we are very blessed. We have some very, we are not a money church, but we are very blessed by the people that give. And, and again, I don't know who gives what. I'll say that a million times. You can ask our leadership. I don't look at the records. I don't know, but I do know this. I have had talks with people over the years, whether it be in this church, other churches, friends. Uh, the jury is out on many people on the whole subject of tithing. Okay. But let me just tell you this. I've had people tell me, well, you know what? I can't afford to tithe. And I tell them you can't afford not to. And again, I'm not, I will never sit down with you and give you a percentage. There are some churches that have a new members class. They bring you in. They ask to see your checkbook and your budget. And they sit you down. And they tell you, this is how much you need to give. And we'll set up a bank draft for you right now. No, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to tell you this. If you think you can't afford to tithe, I'm telling you, you cannot afford not to. God will work with you on the amount. But my question is, is it when you give, is it the least little bit of a sacrifice or is it a little bit of what, a lot of what God has given you? So see, I mean, the religious leaders here, they were active tithers. They were giving to the temple. But yet they also knew they were getting it back, right? So they gave to the temple. But yet this woman, she sacrificed everything. Jesus' comment on this shows the value of a gift is determined not by what it costs the giver. 
It's determined by the heart. I know there are people that have to decide between giving to God and getting medications filled. There are people that have to, to pray that God will help work out the billing situation because there are some people that say, well, you know what? I got to give up a cup of Starbucks this week because I need to give more as the Lord leads. God knows when we give sacrificially and he knows when we don't. So as we wrap this up, true power for living is found in making Jesus Lord of your life. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to say this point. This woman gave two coins. It was all she had, and Jesus honored her. Don't lose sight of the fact that in just a few days, Jesus would give everything he has to die for your sins and to mine. He gave up his throne. He gave up his glory. He gave up his crown. He gave up his comfort. He gave up all of that to willingly die on the cross for your sin and mine to the point for the first time in ever, if he had ever been in existence, that God the Father turned his back on him because his, your sin and my sin was placed upon him and he gave his life willingly. We know he struggled with it in the Garden of, Eden, of Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. In other words, this, this cup of wrath that I'm about to drink of, this, this whole thing, I don't want to really do it. But yet not my will, but your will be done. So true power for living is found in making Jesus the Lord of your life. We have spent the last two Sundays reading about self-proclaimed religious experts that were testing Jesus in order to make themselves look better. And they failed miserably, by the way. They put themselves before others. They took advantage of the innocent. They made a mockery of their worship. And they sacrificed nothing. Remember the widow who gave all she had. Folks, don't let Satan fool you into thinking this is a message from Jesus hoping to fatten the church budget. This is not why I'm preaching this. I am preaching this because it is in His Word. We are walking through the Word and it came up. And we are not trying to to bolster our budget for our church. This is a message warning you of the dangers of holding out on God. Because I'm going to tell you, until God has your heart, He will not have your checkbook. And as long as you put your checkbook and your time calendar into your heart before God, He will not be Lord of your life. You will be serving yourself and giving Him tips off the side. Let me ask you something. Do you want God's best for you? Or do you want His leftovers? Do you want to be an afterthought to God? Well, is it right that we make Him an afterthought in what we give? Remember, the widow gave all she had. This is the message warning you of the dangers of holding out on God. Where is your heart today with God, folks? Is He Savior or is He Lord? You trust Him to save you. You trust Him to keep you out of hell. You trust Him to empower you for your daily living. So will you still trust Him with your wallet and your calendar and your family and your hopes and your dreams? Look, I'm not telling you that this, the purpose of this message is to tell you by the end of this church service, you need to cut a check to the church with everything that you own. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not the purpose 
of what Jesus is saying here. It is not a sin to own nice things, but it is a sin for those nice things to own you. I remember what it's like to live check to check, day to day, month to month, payment after payment, mortgage, car, daycare, maintenance, miscellaneous, going out to eat, all of these areas. Look, I know, and I have to practice the very same thing that I'm preaching. But if the Lord is the Lord of your heart, if you have turned your life over to Him, you will spend your time and your money on those you love. Your son or daughter comes home and says, it's yearbook day next week. I needed money for yearbook. Yearbook will be $200. I don't know how much they are now. Do they even do yearbooks? Yes? No? Yes. Okay, I'm getting some yeses. Any of y'all ever save a page for your friend? I remember all that. And all the jokes that went with that. That's another story for another time. But yeah, your kid comes in and says, we're having yearbook sale. I need to buy a yearbook. It's like too much money. But you don't want your one kid be the one kid that doesn't have one, that has no yearbook for people to sign. So, yes, you're going to get because you love that child. Child comes home and says, hey, we need $5,000 to be on the travel ball team. You have a kid come in and say, look, I need, I need new clothes because school's starting. I've got all of these different things. And, of course, look, I'm not making light of that. You as a parent, a grandparent, or leader, you have to take care of these children. But why do you do it? Because you love them. Do you not think that God loves you too? And He loves you enough to provide for you so that when you give to Him, He gives you back more and more and more. I'm going to tell you, you cannot outgive God. And it's not about the amount. I can't say that enough. It is about the heart. If you, if times are tough for you and the best that you can give is two dollars, then you give it, not because we need it. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain. We're in the black, but it's not surplus around here. Okay. Anybody can look at the budget and see that. But that's not my purpose. My purpose is, is there are people sitting in these pews. There are people watching this video and there are people here that they are giving God their seats. <laughs> They're giving him their attention, but that's it. God wants you to put his word to the test. Try him, test him, talk with your family and say, you know what, we're going to give this three months. We are going to tithe sacrificially, we're going to do this. Let's see what happens. God will blow your socks off. Because if he has your wallet and he has your calendar, he will have your heart. So my question to you and the invitation is this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? I think the term making Jesus Lord is a very churchy kind of saying. You know, if, if I were to say, you're, you just need to make Jesus Lord, there's about 60, 70% of you in here that will know what that means because you understand that saying. But that's like church language. Better yet, Will you make Jesus the main authority and priority in your life?
That is the better question. Because if he is your main priority and the authority, then he will be Lord of your life. And I don't say that to say that, that everybody is, is wrong and falling short, because we all fall short, and to be honest with you, all of us are all wrong. But in making Jesus Lord, my biggest fear is that there are so many people that are walking the fence in serving the Lord. And you'll never know the beauty of when you generously give to God of what it looks like when he generously gives to you. These Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus for their own game, and Jesus turned it back on them. So I encourage you, evaluate your heart. Evaluate what you give to God and what you're holding back. And I guarantee you, whatever you're holding back, that's what he wants. But when you surrender to him, it will be a beautiful thing. I can't, I can't give you a guarantee, but I know it because I saw it happen in my life. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, and not only Lord of your life, but give him control of your money, give him control of your time, there's a weird thing that happens. And it's a beautiful thing. You start to get content with what you have. Because you realize it was a gift from God. And if you want something more, you know that God's going to want you to have it if it's in his will. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for your word, dear Heavenly Father, that shows us that we need to give all of our lives to you, Lord. Just like this widow that gave these two coins. It was everything. Just like your son, Jesus Christ. He gave everything for us, Lord. If there's anyone here today that would say, you know, I want to rededicate my life. I want to walk for him. I want to give him everything in my life. I'm tired of holding back. And I want his full-blown blessings. And today is today. If there's someone here that needs to confess their sins before you, God, and return to you. Maybe someone wants to know you for the first time today. May they come forward. I will pray with them. If they want to join this church, we will celebrate that. And dear Heavenly Father, if someone just want to come to the altar and pray, we invite them to do that too. Lord, you work in your hymn of invitation. Would you please stand as Susie plays?